You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. This morning, the past few uh, Sundays, we are going through a season we call Advent. And it's very important that we know and understand what Advent season is. It is important because it reminds us that the church goes and lives and breathes according to a different calendar. The world has its own rhythm and calendar, such as January to December. But the church we live and breathe and move is by a different calendar. And so throughout the centuries, the church has celebrated different seasons like Advent, waiting for the coming of God. Advent is the, char- is the start of the church calendar. It reminds us that the world is put in motion when God comes. Advent for the church is like our New Year's Eve celebration. And God's ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are many words in the Bible to describe God. We sing God is mighty, He is powerful, He is wise, He is forgiving, He is loving, but rarely, very rarely do we use the word foolish to describe God. The title of my message today is The Wisdom of God's Foolishness. In addition to all these names, there is a foolishness about God. The Bible describes foolishness in two ways. In Proverbs, as it pertains to people, It means people who reject wisdom, which often leads to a path of self-destruction and leads to a path of judgment. But when Paul was talking about the foolishness of God, he was referring to a different kind of foolishness. God's foolishness is the countercultural and counterintuitive way that leads to life, but defeats the wisdom of the world. Paul says in Scripture, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And Paul also said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, those who do not believe in Jesus and what He has done on the cross see it as foolishness. How is it possible that some man who died on the cross can reconcile the world? God was at his most foolish and very weakest at the cross. It doesn't make any sense. But for those of us who trusted, who have trusted on what Christ has done for us, We see that it is the cross, it is the very power of God. When we think about foolishness in Advent, there is a very specific way that Advent tells us about the foolish way that God brings salvation to the world. Advent tells us of the foolish ways God uses disarming weakness to save and restore the world. This is what we will see in our passage this morning. 
and we're going to read it together. Shall we all stand as we read it together? Okay? Everybody? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born in the city of David. <coughs> when we read the story of Jesus' birth, it is always important to understand the surrounding context in which he was born. The setting in which Jesus was born at that time, the people of God, when Jesus was born, they were under the Roman rule. They were under Roman oppression. They are far from the glory that they experienced as a people under King David's rulership when he was king. Another king in charge at that time is Herod. He is a violent and insecure and temperamental king, and you will never know what to expect with Herod. When Jesus is born, he comes into a hostile world, a dangerous world, an unpredictable world. He comes into a world that is armed and dangerous. We see how dangerous this world is that a couple of chapters after Jesus was born, we read that King Herod, Here's the news that there's a new king in town. And so he had all children, two years and younger, all killed, massacred. So Jesus was born in an armed and dangerous world. He was born into a world that is power-hungry, a world that is dangerously aggressive, a world that will crush you if you disagree. And, we, and when we look into our world today, 2017, we see that not much has changed. Our world and our lives are often armed and dangerous. When you look at our world, we see how armed and dangerous it is. For example, in a global perspective, just a few countries, if you see what is happening in Syria and what recently happened in Marawi, Philippines, we see how armed and dangerous it is. The tragedy of war and aggression we are faced globally with an armed and dangerous world. When you look at our country, when you listen to the news or read the newspaper, we see what is happening. Just to name a few, the shooting event in Vegas, the church shooting in Texas. We see we live in an armed and dangerous world. When you look at our cities, we see we live in an armed and dangerous world. Every week I get an email from the city of Cerritos because I live in Cerritos and I see all the crimes that happened during that entire week. One of my employees, I asked him, I said, Danny, can you come early? I want you to come 5.30. He said, Pastor, I can't come. It's too dangerous where I live. I can't come out after 6 and I have to be home by 5. And that is in Los Angeles. That is in the city where we live. 
But it is not just a global, a country, or a city perspective. All of us in this room are armed and dangerous. We might not be armed with uh, artillery or guns or weapons, but we are armed nonetheless. There is a dangerous way of aggression that we often live that fractures relationships. <coughs> When you go to the 405 freeway, you are entering an armed and dangerous freeway. Okay? I was going to Home Depot one, one evening, and I was at a stoplight, and, and then there was a green light, and suddenly the guy at the back started honking his horn angrily. And then he overtook me on the side, and he looked at me like, you were using your phone. And so I looked back and said, Without saying a word, I am not using my phone. I am updating my Facebook. <laughs> when you get into the Norwalk parking lot, especially if there's an event and you don't see a parking lot, sorry, security, you are facing an armed and dangerous parking lot. It is the culture that we live in that at any moment you can get into a fight. At any moment, if you look at the person the wrong way, you might get into a fight. We live in an aggressive world. Something happens to us. This aggressiveness, this dangerous aggression that we live by. We use words to hurt people, to ostracize, to label, to crush. Look at the interactions in the news and social media. Who are you trying to crush right now? Who are you hostile to? Who are you aggressive towards? You may say, oh, that's not me, Pastor. I'm, a, I'm not aggressive. I'm not like that. It's not my nature to be aggressive. You may not be aggressive, but you might be passive-aggressive. We might not tell you how you feel, but we will surely unfriend you on Facebook. We might be smiling at your face, but we will be talking behind your back. We might not be aggressive, but we might be passive-aggressive. Whether it is aggression or passive-aggression, this is the air that we breathe. This is the water that we drink. This is what we're exposed to. This notion of aggressiveness is not just in our relationship. The notion of aggressiveness permeates how our culture operates in that if you want to be successful in life, if you want to be somebody, you have to be aggressive. If you want this job or to be promoted to this company, you better be aggressive. You better, be, you better get the bull by the horn. This is the culture we live in, and this is the same culture God came into the world 2,000 years ago. A very aggressive culture, armed and dangerous culture. Advent celebrates not just God has come, but how God came. 
God came in a surprising and foolish way that does not make any sense to the world. When God reveals himself, he comes as an unarmed infant in a world that is armed and dangerous. God comes as an unarmed infant while Herod, the king, was wrapped with artillery, weapons, soldiers, horses, chariots. King Jesus came into the scene wrapped in swaddling clothes. While Herod is wrapped with power and domination, King Jesus was wrapped in humility and meekness. While Herod was wrapped in intimidation, Jesus was wrapped in weakness. Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is foolishness. It is foolishness because the people of God expected the Messiah to come differently. They expected the Messiah to be strong enough, to be violent enough, to be a warrior, to come with strength that would liberate them. This is the Messiah that they expected to come. But instead, the Messiah, they ex they, uh, the Messiah came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. As an infant, this is foolish. It doesn't make any sense to the world. Now, why does God come this way? The coming of Christ as an infant, God is saying, Salvation will never come through violence and aggression, but by a disarming humility, which is true power. The disarming coming of God is to disarm you and I. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. There is something about a baby that disarms you and I. You can be the toughest person out here, but when you see a little baby, there is something that a baby does that even the hardest person, even the hardest person, something that a baby does that disarms you. I can see some guys, sometimes they have this big voice, right? And suddenly they'll be talking baby language. Hi, baby! <laughs> Children help us to disarm to lower our guard, to not be so defensive. We think salvation comes through brute force, but it doesn't. It comes through a defenseless baby in an armed and dangerous world. Advent shows us that it comes through an unarmed child, and this unarmed child invites us to be a disarming presence in the world that we as followers of Christ are to be a disarming presence in the world and our lives are to be impacted by the coming of this God. And in times of hostility that the world is experiencing today, the church is to be a safe place, a disarming community. This is our call. 
Have you ever been in the presence of a disarming person? A person that you were able to just lower your guard, be vulnerable and be open because of their vulnerability and openness? It's transformative to encounter someone who was disarming. They make you at ease. And yet, this is the invitation for the church during this Advent season. And so what does it mean to go the way of foolishness and this disarming way of Advent? What does it mean for us? It means a few things. To be a disarming and foolish presence in the world means that we choose the way of love over the way of being right. This is what children teaches us. Have you ever seen kids play? And then sometimes they'll fight. In a few minutes, they'll fight. And then one would go to mommy, mommy, she hurt me. And then five minutes later, kid will come back and play again as if nothing happened. Well, there are older people. If that happens to older people, they would not even talk for a year, maybe even longer. That's what's happening to some of us. Why? Why this, does this happen to kids? You know why? Very simple. They said, children choose happiness over being right. We grown-ups rarely make that choice. We have a hard time set, set, stepping aside. We say to ourselves, I will be happy when you let me know that I am right. Until then, we cannot play. Not so much. But what the children teaches us is that the way of love supersedes the way of being right. Now, of course, we must wrestle with big issues. We must have hard conversations. To say that the way of love is over the way of being right does not mean that we don't have hard conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't address injustice. It doesn't mean that we don't address the elephants in this room. No, it just means that the way we do it the way we do it is different than the world, which is the way of love over the way of being right. This is what children teach us. They live with a disarming defenselessness. I would also say that to choose this foolish way is not just choosing love over the way of being right. It also means that, number two, we don't use the weapons of this world to get our way. When Jesus came, he didn't come looking like Herod. He came swaddled in clothes. And there's plenty of weapons that the world offers us for us to use, especially if those weapons have been used on us. And if the weapons have been used on us, we have no problem using the same weapon back on them. Whether the weapon is labeling or cutting words or sarcasm, or putting down somebody, or, or gossiping, or hurtful words. We often use the same weapons of this world to get our way. The way of Advent says we put down the weapons, for this is foolish. The world will say, you'll get trounced on if you do that. How many of you always have to have the last word. Don't raise your hands. But, 
You always want to have the last word. We all want it our way. We want to retaliate using the weapons used against us. To be a disarming presence means that we do not use the weapons of this world to get our way. And lastly, the, this foolish and disarming way of Advent is foolish and the disarming way of Jesus is not just choosing the way of love or being right, not using weapons of this world to get our way, but number three, to be disarming means we are safe to be around with, safe to be in our presence. We've all been around people who are not safe to be around with. St. Augustine said something like this, A friend is someone who knows everything about you and still likes you because you are safe to be around. Isn't this why people were so attracted to Jesus? Because he was safe to be around with? Why were sinners openly coming to Jesus confessing their sins before him because he was safe to be around with. It was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not repentance that leads to the kindness of God. Jesus shows us this kindness of God, and Jesus shows us this kindness that he is safe to be around with. No wonder the crowd, the throngs, always came to him. The disciples say, Jesus, no, no, don't go to them. They're sinners. And Jesus would say, no, let them have a little bit of my kindness and watch them start repenting. And that's not how some church operates. Some churches would say, get yourself together first and then come to Jesus. Jesus said, no, come to me just as you are. Get a little bit of my kindness, my grace, and you'll be repenting all over the place. This is the foolish way of the cross. Jesus is safe to be around with. And what we see in this child Jesus, 30 years later, he did not change the trajectory of his life. He began as a disarm, an armed child who was safe to be around with, and he grew up. And when he grew up, he died on the cross. And on his death on the cross, he demonstrated what it means to show that suffering love that led to the restoration of the world. Jesus could have attacked us. He could have called legions of angels and just smote everyone. But instead, he went the way of disarming and suffering love. And somehow... Mysteriously, as he absorbed the sins of the world, as he was on the cross, somehow the world was made right. Somehow he restored the world to himself. And one of the things you see, Jesus, about the cross is that when you are on the cross, there is no time and no ability for you to attack. If you are on the cross with your hands and feet nailed, you cannot attack anymore. It's impossible to attack and be on the cross at the same time. 
And we are, on, we are to be on the cross with Jesus, is what Paul says. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To be on the cross means that you and I can't attack. So the question is, are we on the cross or are we not? The reality is, is this. I would rather have Jesus hold the cross and then I'll let some stuff, I'm going to do some stuff and then after I'm done with my stuff, I'll jump back on the cross. In disguise, you know, uh, 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 this is what we do. That's how we operate. Okay? Uh, we are on the cross and then we go down. Oh, Lord, let me just take care of this guy. He is messing me up. And then we go back on the cross. That's how we operate. But we are to be fixed. This is foolishness. How can we do this without the power of the Spirit? We cannot do this on our, on our own human strength. And yet, Advent calls us to a foolish way, and the world will say, this makes no sense. And it shouldn't make any sense, because this is coming from a different system, a different kingdom, a different way, a different Lord, and a different king. I would like the ushers to come, or the worship team to come, as we conclude. Let me tell you something. As we, okay, even if we combine all the wisdom of the human race, all the wisdom of the human race, we would never have figured out how to get out of this evil and sin. We would never have figured out salvation for ourselves. If we were sitting with God as He was putting this plan of salvation together, we would probably be scratching our head and calling it like, uh-huh. <laughs> See, this, is, this, this was God's plan in summary. Okay, said, Ron, this is how I will save them. I will come myself in disguise. I'll be born in a barn to an unmarried couple of an oppressed race in an occupied land at the time of violence and hate. I will live in obscurity for 30 years, wander like a homeless vagabond for three years in poverty, and have a band of followers handpicked from the margins of society and rejected by the powers to be. I will choose people with tempers, people with faults and weaknesses. As a matter of fact, I will even pick people who will disown me and betray me. I will make enemies of the rich and powerful and upset the, the religious establishment. And then I will go to Jerusalem, enter as a king, and be crucified on the cross, killed like a criminal, and laid out in a stone tomb. Yes, that should do it. What a plan. What do you think, Ron? <laughs> huh? <laughs> this is the wisdom of God's foolishness. So that none of us
can boast. My hope, shall we all stand? My hope is that you see from the Word of God that no excuses are allowed. You and I have been chosen in order for God to get glory. This is the wisdom of God's foolish choice. You may never be elected to office or win any awards in your lifetime. You may not break any records, may never play on a championship team. You may be saying you're too old or done with your time or you're retired or you're too busy. You may say your family takes up all your time or your work is too consuming or you, or you have such a long distance to commute or you don't have enough education or not enough money and you're not, or you're not healthy enough. Because what you're saying with any excuses like this or any others you might come with is that you are one of the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, or the nobody. And that's exactly where God wants you. You are the perfect candidate to do something wonderful for God. As we close today, some people will look at the cross And we know, for those of us, as the scripture said, the power of the cross. But there are people here who have ignored, taken for granted the power of the cross. Like, it's not the same anymore. See, let me tell you a story about a man who raised a young lion as a pet. He raised his young lion as a pet, and as the lion grew up, became tamed, domesticated. And so he's invited, he invited his friends. Well, obviously the lion is in a cage. And the owner was playing with the lion, the tame lion, and the people were watching, the friends were watching. Oh, he's so tame, he's not going to hurt anybody. And then, one person overheard, there's only one way to find out. Get him out of the cage. That's sometimes what we do with the cross. We think there's no power on that cross anymore because it's been there for a long time. And some of you have been hearing the message of salvation over and over again. It's so simple. It sounds so foolish to you. You mean to say, if I just believe in my heart and speak it in my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's it? It's so simple. You know it's so simple that it's easier to be a citizen of heaven than to get a driver's license or a passport or apply for credit. It is more difficult to do those things. And God has made a way for us to be a child of God, a citizen of heaven. And we have ignored the power of the cross for a long time. I don't know about you, but this is a safe place, brother or sister, if you're there. Maybe you're uncertain about your relationship with Him. And this is the time for you to come clear because there's nothing we can hide from God. He sees, even if we close all the lights in this room, some churches do that. They'll close all the lights and they'll do another call. There's no point because God sees your heart. 
regardless where you are he sees what's going on in that heart and all you have to do say Lord I'm coming to you today I want to come home I want you to be my personal Lord and Savior I have sinned no person in this room are perfect all of us have sinned and if you want to come to Jesus today or if there's anything in this message that God is calling you to respond to whether to take action or transformation the altars will be open the pastors are going to be praying for you I'm going to have the worship team sing a song and feel free to come to the altar and we're going to be praying for you
minutes prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. That even in your in, in, in your foolishness, Father God, there is great, great wisdom, Lord. And today we we thank you for all that you have done for us. For transforming us, Lord. There's still a lot more work to do, Father God. The aggression that we have in our lives, we ask that you help us control it day after day after day. We ask that you pour your kindness. Holy Spirit, we want us to be filled with your kindness. That people will be drawn to us and that they will be drawn to you. And today, Lord, we, we also thank you, Lord, for allowing us all these years to be where we're at today. Your transforming power, the transforming power of the cross. And we ask that as we leave this place today, Lord, that we will carry that power with us. The transforming power of the cross, your kindness, Lord, so that we may lead people to you. Thank you for coming and being one of us, Lord Jesus, for choosing us. We give you honor and we give you praise, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.